Welcome to another edition of the College Faith Podcast, sponsored by Global Scholars. Today's show is especially for parents of college students or those who are soon to be college students. Popular culture has a huge impact on students these days, and as Christian parents, we're often struggling to know how to understand and engage with our children in this often foreign land. So to help us do so is Dr. Ted Turneau, author of The Pop Culture Parent, Helping Kids Engage Their World for Christ. I found his book very helpful, and so I've asked him to discuss some of his insights with me today. Ted, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks, Dan. Well, Ted, first, let's understand what these terms are. What is culture and what's pop about it? Uh, Culture, that's a really good and deep question. Culture um, was, there's a guy named Raymond Williams, who's a cultural theorist, and he called culture one of the 10 or 12 most difficult to define terms in the English language. Uh Oh, (laughs) so because so many people talk about it and so many people mean different things. Uh, But just to cut to the chase, what I mean by culture is sort of a network of practices and uh, texts, cultural works, whether that's a TV show or a movie or Mm -hmm. a video game or whatever. Um, And values and uh, expectations and all of and, and kind of a mood, a, a feel, a vibe, right? That that's what the that's what the Gen Z, the Zoomers are calling it nowadays. It's it's the way it's it's just a common vibration that ties a community together, okay. and, and it's and it's expressed through all of these different works and behaviors and so forth. From everything from how you eat dinner, do you take your shoes off when you enter someone else's home? Hmm. In the Czech Republic, you always do. In America, you seldom do. Um, things like your favorite TV show, fandom, all that stuff, all kind of mixed together in a bouillabaisse uh, that that sort of sets the tone for uh, who we are, who we think ourselves to be how we relate to each other, styles, everything, all that stuff. Um, on top of that, though, you ought to keep in mind that culture is, from a biblical perspective, a calling. It's something that we are hardwired to make. You know, uh, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, where God creates man and woman in his image, and then he gives them a call, a a a command to go and do and and subdue the world and to nurture it and shape it and all of that. Mm-hmm. So there's a so there's sort of a and so we're we're hardwired to be culture creators, culture enjoyers, but it's also something God's called us to. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that's culture in general. Okay, so that's what I think of when I talk about culture. Okay. Popular culture is that network of uh, images and styles and works that make up uh, what we commonly call popular culture. And the reason that it's popular is that it's the cultural works. These are the cultural works that live not in the museum Mm. and not in the concert hall, but Mm -hmm. in the places where we 
we where we traffic every day, where we we spend a lot of our time, streaming services, the interwebs, uh, you know, the, the pub in this in this culture in Czech culture, um, you know, television, the radio, uh, podcasts. You know, all of these are places where pop culture happens. Mm-hmm. And where uh, and where people receive it, and the reason why I'm so interested in popular culture is that it is uh, it's got that kind of broad appeal. Not necessarily every work is going to reach everybody, mm-hmm. but be, especially with the way that um, popular culture is configured and distributed now, it tends to be more niche. Mm-hmm. But even so, you put it together as a collection. And uh, and it becomes something quite po- powerful in our cultural sure. formation and in sure. the way that we think about identity and and religion and everything. Yeah, reality exactly. Well, in your book, you say it so well. You say popular culture is everywhere. We can't mm-hmm. resist it or escape its influence. And I know I know that every day I uh, I bump right into that with either my children or things that I'm actually finding. I'm in uh, encouraged to think that may be contrary to what I ought to be thinking about, or maybe it actually helps me think better about things that I, I, I want to pursue. But uh, either way, I'm bumping into it pretty much, as you say, everywhere, every day, every in everything. Yep. And I think the, um, the Christian church as a whole has generally not, given good guidance about Mm. how to deal with it they either uh throw up these walls and say you know none of these works shall come in here don't you dare no good christian would ever watch xyz no good Mm. christian would ever listen to xyz and um or uh so they try to you know they hold up a crucifix as if popular culture were a group of vampires and hope that they slink away, leaving us untouched, which ain't going to happen. I I know you've run into that in your own personal uh, outreach, right? I know Mm -hmm. you have students over to have movie nights regularly with, with Carolyn, your wife, and you know, you watch films and that are part of Mm -hmm. popular culture. And then you'll talk about the biblical themes in the films, but there are things in the films that aren't, Biblical themes are definitely part of the fall, and I know you've taken heat for for having those kind of uh, those kind of <laughs> yes. showings and conversations with 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 students. Yeah, yeah, I have, um, and I and I think that's unfortunate, but because uh, there are uh, Christians tend to have Christians who who want to throw up a wall tend to have a, a very simplified view, a, a moralistic view. If it's got uh, nudity, or if it's got uh, swearing, or if it's got violence, then those are the things that are going to drag you down and pollute you. And uh, and and I and for some it may, but I think probably for your for the college students I deal with, they're so used to a, a lot of that stuff. It doesn't phase them when there is going to be like I I steer clear of um, of any uh, really explicit sexual stuff mm-hmm. when I show a movie night mm-hmm. and I start and if we have 
a movie. I haven't shown one in a long, long time that has very extreme violence. Um, I will, I will tell them, Hey guys, if you've got a problem with violence, this is one you'd want to skip. So anyway, back to what I was saying, uh, there are Christians who throw up walls and say, no, 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 you know, you shall not pass just pop culture reference. And <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum, there are Christians who just kind of sit there and stare and and go, wow, that was awesome. And they don't think about it. Mm. So um, I what, would like what, what Andy Crouch in his great book, Culture Making, called the consumer mentality, right? Where we just consume this in an uncritical way right. and don't have any sense of how it's shaping us. Right. And I would like to see uh, an intentional, appreciative, and critical approach mm. to popular culture. Um, doesn't mean you have to analyze everything to death, but it does mean you need to give it some thought. I mean, yeah. As Christians in a fallen world, dealing with our own fallen hearts, dealing with our kids' fallen hearts, it deserves some mm -hmm. recognition. And and I think it's too easy, and it is, frankly, a defaulting on the way Christ has called us into the world to say to just put up a wall and say, oh, no, 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 we only listen to Christian culture, as if that kept it from error and mm -hmm. sin, but also as if that were the best thing, that we are here to preserve our own precious holiness before God, and we can just let the rest of the world rot. And I think mm -hmm. that is... Um, that's just wrong. That's not what Jesus has called us to. We're to build bridges out to those people. And and the bridges that we can build, I think, need to take into account the popular culture that surrounds us and them, the, the kind of culture that we share. Mm -hmm. So well, um, think of God's command to the Israelites in exile in, what is it, Jeremiah, help me out, 28? I thought it was 17. 17? Okay. But I'll I can't say Jeremiah. In, the, in, yeah, I'll just say in Jeremiah. So in, in Jeremiah, where he commands them to seek the peace or the shalom or the well-being of those, those wretched Babylonians who've captivated them and enslaved them and are oppressing them, but they're to seek to serve them, to, to find uh, the, the good in, in, in their culture, to help them flourish and that's as you mentioned earlier the cultural mandate to be a presence of redemption in ways that go beyond simply bringing the gospel per se which is important but there's so much more and i think that's what you're tying into here to here with the genesis yeah. reference right well and and beyond that one passage daniel and his mates mm. you know shadrach uh shadrach meshach and abednego were all schooled in Babylonian language mm. and culture. They knew their stuff. They were court advisors. They were people who could move in that culture and could speak graciously the way that the king wanted them to speak. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think that uh, I think that a lot of evangelicals today are sort of wary of anybody who does that and they and they try and they have a studied disparagement of anything that's outside their circles and i think that's that's a problem 
That's um, that is that is looking to garner cultural animosity at a time when there's frankly a lot of animosity, sure. and we don't need to be adding to it. We need people who can speak winsomely into the culture and and create connections. There's um. I mean, maybe your listeners have heard of the Benedict Option, which is mm. uh, a book that. Um, oh, I'm forgetting. I'm blanking on the name. I mean, the the book's title is the Benedict uh, Dreyer, Rod Dreyer. Rod Dreyer, book, right? Yeah, um, editor of the American Conservative magazine, and he wrote a book about how uh, basically we're to withdraw from this defiled culture and head for the hills. So that when civilization finally collapses, we can come and save the world. I'm oversimplifying, but that's the gist. Okay. And somebody in response said, "How about the the Daniel option? Mm. Right? Not not mm-hmm. withdraw into the woods and let the barbarians flambe each other until everything's dead, mm. um, and then we come back. But how about being?" a wise and gracious cultural presence within the midst of Babylon. Right. Right. Being a people in exile and kind of hunkering down and settle because it's going to be a long 70 years until, until restoration. And, and for us, for us Christians, that 70 years is however long till, however long the Lord tarries, mm-hmm. you know, before he takes us to the new creation. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I th- I think um, to to bring in Andy Crouch again, I think cultural posture, uh, the way that we engage culture, the the way that we position ourselves vis a vis culture is really important, and something that tends to get overlooked. Mm-hmm. So then, is that why you finally decided to write the Pop Culture Parent to help us have that perspective on culture and engaging culture in helpful ways? Um, yes, it was the reason I wrote Papologetics in 2012, Mm. because I noticed a lot of, a lot of bad guidance regarding popular culture. And in 2013, we were back in the United States and, and I found out that when you write a book, people ask you to come and speak at their churches and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so I did a lot of traveling around and speaking and at every single one of those speaking gigs, somebody, a grandparent or a parent or a youth worker or somebody would say, hey, this sounds really, really neat, but I don't know, man, my kids will never get this. Hmm. And so uh, and so I was like, and so I made the mistake of tweeting, uh, I guess we need a apologetics for kids. And there were two guys who followed me on Twitter saying, hey, we're working on the same project. Do you want to join forces or do you want to race? And I said, well, and we talked a little bit and we decided to join forces. And so uh, I, Stephen Burnett and Jared Moore ended up over the next three years, no, more, um, writing up. Uh, pop culture parent. And I, I, I call it a mistake because I thought going in, oh, three authors, that means everybody takes a third. We get it done in a third of the time. <laughs> this is not how it works. Not how it works, is it? 
This is not how it works because mm-hmm. somebody would write something and then the other two would have to discuss it and then we'd go back and it ended up taking three times the amount yeah. of time yeah. that it yeah. generally does. Um, so lesson learned, but <laughs> um, but that I still I I have great affection for those guys. That's great. So yeah, that was that was the story behind that, and um, and I. Th- and and so that was the impetus behind the book. How do you bring down? How how do you it, how do you bring down apologetic stuff to mm-hmm. child edible bite sized portions? And also we talked about uh, just basic stuff like what does it mean to, to how how does the gospel impact parenting? How what is popular culture for? Um, how do you navigate issues of of age appropriateness Mm -hmm. how do you navigate issues of the uniqueness of each child's heart and uh so it's it's a lot it's a lot of stuff yeah um so if you were to summarize it what what is the goal of the christian parent then that you're trying to unpack in the book yeah the goal of the christian parent is uh if is to shepherd your child towards Christ. And once your child has made a connection to Christ to become the older brother and sister that helps in discipling them. Hmm. And that, and that means that, um, that you're going to have to like when kids are really small, they need a lot of guidance, right? Don't run in the street, Mm -hmm. hold my hand, you know, don't touch the, the burner and stuff like that. As they grow, they ought to be accumulating practical wisdom and spiritual wisdom. And I don't think those two are mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they will need, and they will start blossoming in the ways that God has gifted them and in the ways that God is leading them. And your job is to nurture that and make them help them to become what God wants them to become. Um, there's this saying, when you're a parent, you're not raising children, you're raising adults. You are trying to equip them mm-hmm. for what they're going to need once they leave home, mm-hmm. which is what your listeners are about. They are launching kids out into the unis- university sphere, which is uh, which is going to be very, very different and going to have a whole bunch of faith challenges that they've either prepared them for or not. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a friend of mine who used to teach at what used to be called Messiah College. I don't, it, it changed its name in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, um, or somewhere in Pennsylvania. Um, and uh, he did a sort of informal study. He taught, taught media studies there. And he, and it was a Christian college. Um kind of a postmoderny loosey goosey Christian college, but with a with a generally Christian ethos. So a lot of these kids came from Christian homes. And he would sort of take a tally of the parenting styles of each of these kids. And the they grouped into three well, the uh, kids are there of their parents. Uh how the parents uh how the parents parented them. Mm-hmm. And then, and then they, and they grouped into three different parenting styles. One was 
parents who like would would shut them off from everything and keep mm-hmm. them very very sheltered parents who basically didn't care and let them watch everything and anything um and parents who enculturated or made made Christ- their christian faith a cultural lens through which to see the world mm-hmm. kind of engaged the culture with the kids mm-hmm. and the first group uh those kids once they got to college they were just like baby i'm free and they would just mm-hmm. explode and they would try everything and anything and they were just so happy to not be under their parents thumb and this was absolute freedom and they and they and that often did not have great results the other kids who were able to watch anything and everything and uh they were just kind of un- ill-disciplined and kind of got into all sorts of stuff anyway. But the kids who their parents engaged with them tended to be a lot more sane, weren't caught off guard, you know, didn't explode and try everything and anything. It, it just made their faith more survivable mm-hmm. when they went to university. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that uh, there's not going to be there's university is a really interesting time spiritually for kids who are from Christian homes because being one myself um, or having been one myself because it is the time where you start saying okay this is the thing my parents taught me mm-hmm. what value does it really have is it is it really right. is it really true is it really livable is it really beautiful or is it kind of ugly um does it help me relate to people does it push people sure. away right. i mean all these all these questions and so when i went through university i i basically went to seminary because i was in the middle of a spiritual crisis and i needed to sort i needed some place to sort this stuff out mm-hmm. i did not go to seminary because i thought i want to be a spiritual leader someday i i went because i was a mess and i needed some place to sort of decipher the mess and figure stuff out mm-hmm. um and my middle daughters claire especially kind of went off the rails for eight years she has returned to the lord and she has a really strong and vibrant faith um my other kids like they it's been different for each one so mm-hmm. so please hear me when i say there are no guarantees sure about how this comes out you can have the perfect parenting style and because we live in a fallen world and you're dealing with children with fallen hearts and you're dealing with parents with fallen hearts mm-hmm. there's going to be mess that's the only guarantee is, is things are going to get messy. <laughs> right, that's right. You hope they get messy in a good direction, mm-hmm. but they don't always. Mm-hmm. So, um, so your job is to kind of parent them through the mess and bring them to the Lord and help them develop into the people that, that God's calling them to be, which means you can't be ultra controlling. No, no young man, no art school for you. You need to get your pre-med degree, you know, it, I, I mean, it, it's it's just hard. It's it's a it's you have to use a lot of discernment mm-hmm. and um, and a lot of a lot of uh, 
a lot of discussion. And as the kids get older, that discussion and that meeting of minds is so much more important. My wife mm-hmm. is fond of mm-hmm. saying, when your kids get older, they don't need you less. They just need you different. Right. Yep. And it's not easier. No. It's, it's you know, yeah. shepherding young adults is way trickier <laughs> than shepherding sure is. five or 10-year-olds. It sure is. Well, and I so appreciate you pointing toward that middle way between the two extremes. And I find there so often are extremes in a middle way that's the right way. But in this case, between the the entire rejection of popular culture and on the other extreme, the entire embracing of popular culture, but this middle way of, no, let's engage, but let's engage thoughtfully. And I know- yep. In in the book, you shared a very personal story that really stood out to me. It was a story about you and I think your brother when you were younger watching something and your dad came in and and you were hoping he might engage a little bit with you and he just kind of poo-pooed it and left the room. And it, and that really was, it sounded like a pretty know, defining moment for you, right? Can, well, it w- okay. I wish he had left. I wish he had just poo-pooed and left the room. Um, so the the story has to do with Monty Python, which is uh, 1960s, early 70s, mm-hmm. uh, just wonderfully anarchical sketch comedy show from Britain. Mm-hmm. And if you guys very satirical, very satirical, biting satire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes there was there were you know naughty uh, animations made by Terry Gillum. You know, for for middle school kids, this was this was nectar from heaven. Like you got mm-hmm. to be a little bit scandalous, sure. and it, it was, was the holy silly. grail, wasn't it? Um, so <laughs> it was well. So our public television station which had run it late night for years decided okay we've we've had our fun we're not going to do python anymore and so they were running all of the all, all, a marathon all of monty python's flying circus plus a uh, holy grail and i don't think it was life of brian there was one other movie that they were showing sort of a a, a python palooza yeah. Um, before we bid goodbye and my dad and so we were watching this in the basement and my dad came down and i think he was trying to engage Mm. but he just but he sat there he just sat there and and it was during uh it was during a, a monty python it was during a flying circus episode you know, and so buy Wizzo butter and go to heaven. And, you know, and nine out of 10 housewives prefer Wizzo butter to a dead crab and just really silly, bizarre stuff. And he grew up in the era of Bob Hope. And mm-hmm. there was no obvious punchlines. There's no obvious setup. It was just kind of bizarre. And so he just sit there with his arms crossed saying, that's not funny. That's not funny. Mm. that's not funny and we were just like it was so uncomfortable mm-hmm. and we were and we just like please we didn't say this we we're just please would you just please leave mm. and let us enjoy our space and that and and that is a that's kind of an archetype of how a lot of parents produce uh 
relate to their kids' culture. You guys watch the dumbest things. You guys are just, nobody makes good music now. It's all now just womp, 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 You guys with your EDM and your rap music, not like in my day when Buddy Holly was, you know, and 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 first of all, it's not true. You know, television is as good or better than it's ever been. It's also worse than it's ever been and more exploitative, but it's also brilliant, like depending on the show we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And the music is as good or better than it's ever been. And there's so many more, there's so many more influences, and it's really, really interesting what's going on. Again, depending on uh depending on who you're listening to. Sure. And video games have come mm-hmm. a mile from where when I was a kid, you know, um, so there's, there's, but I think that we just gravitate as adults, we gravitate towards what's familiar mm-hmm. and we don't like going out of our comfort zones. Mm-hmm. What I wish my dad had said is this stuff is really weird. And I'm not exactly sure why you guys think it's funny. Um, can you help me? Can you clue me in? Mm. Right. And the and the the contrasting story that I have um, is when my son was in middle school. He came back from school one day and he said, "Dad, Dad, there's this anime about about Monkey D. Luffy, and he wants to be king of the pirates." And I was like, "What? Okay." And it just sounded like the dumbest thing I'd ever heard of. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And uh, and so I just kind of dismissed it in my mind like I shouldn't have. And then uh, I w- like walked past their room where they were watching it. And I was like, all right, so what's going on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're fighting. They're fighting Arlong, the shark man. And I'm like. Yeah, he's a he's the leader of the Fishman Pirates. I'm like, what? And <laughs> and I and I found myself kind of because I'm kind of ADD. I found myself walking by the computer and asking more and more questions. And finally, I just drew up a chair and said, "All right, you guys, can we go back to the beginning?" And he and his sister said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. And then they went all the way back to the beginning. And my wife, who was even more hesitant about it than I was, kind of came in like. 30 episodes in and like what is this what's going on and and she said and she finally said can we go back to the beginning and we all three said yeah yeah yeah, let's go back to the beginning and that and that um and because we embraced it oh and then and then the little the smallest sister who uh we waited until she got old enough to really deal with it gets violent at certain parts and we thought that would be scary for her so Mm -hmm. Uh, but when she was old enough, we went to back to the beginning again, and then we we sort of binged it, and that uh, until we caught up with where it was, and then that was our Sunday evening family time was mm-hmm. watching One Piece, and we would have amazing conversations about it. Sometimes not so amazing conversations. Like I'd stop, I'd stop the stream and say, 
okay, you guys understand that. And they like roll their eyes and yes, dad, we get it. Sure. Yeah. It's yeah. not, it's idolatry. We understand. But the fact that they were doing that and they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We understand. We understand apologetics well enough to know we can do this ourselves. Thank you very much. Let's keep going with the show. Mm -hmm. um, um, if you get worth, if you get popular culture, that's worth talking about with your kids and that's entertaining and that you can get into um that's gold jump mm -hmm. in there mm -hmm. and watch it along with them you know mm -hmm. god did not stay ten thousand miles ahead over us and kind of judge us from afar he got in there with us through jesus through the holy spirit he's that's what we call the incarnation and i would say Parents ought to mimic that, not that our incarnational ministry to our kids is anything like Christ's, right? Different levels, but it's the same move, mm -hmm. right? Coming down from your lofty mountaintop and being with the person that you love so that you understand and see the world through their eyes mm -hmm. so that you can talk about it. And because of that, there's, um, there is a... Oh gosh, I don't want to spoil. By the way, anybody out there who doesn't think that they're like animes are really uh a hardcore nerd sort of affection. Like mm. and it but I I developed an affection for it pretty quickly through One Piece. That One Piece was kind of my gateway drug to anime. All right. If if anybody's not into anime and your kids are give it a chance so um and and especially give one piece a chance one piece is amazingly popular like mm. even in japan uh people who aren't into anime still watch one piece because mm. it's one piece anyway um there's a a point in it where the main character this luffy loses somebody precious to him during a battle like somebody dies and he literally loses it he just kind of goes insane and the day after we watched that monday morning like we watched a sunday evening and monday morning the kids were in tears because we kind of grew close to these characters and we started talking about what does death mean? How does how do you go through grieving? How do you survive that? Like that's a really important mm -hmm. and heavy and vital thing that you don't get to talk with your kids about every day unless you've actually lost a relative or a parent or a or something or a grandparent. Having that conversation then, what does death mean in light of the gospel? What does it mean when you lose a non-Christian friend? You know, all of that stuff. How do you, how, what is the proper way to grieve? Is it okay to hurt this much? All of that is amazing. And we would not have gotten the chance mm -hmm. without watching this show with our kids about Monkey D. Luffy who wanted to be King of the Pirates. It's just, it's an awesome and mm -hmm. silly show that, uh, but beyond that, yeah. like whatever it is, we we just finished watching Wednesday on Netflix, which is kind of 
you know, there's some things in there that, that are, I mean, it's a fun show. You can definitely see where the writers are coming from. And it's sometimes not easy to match it up with a Christian worldview. And that's fine. You know, as long as you understand what's going on. Yeah. So just yeah. don't eschew popular culture. Get in there with them. We will return to the show in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. If you are a regular listener of College Faith, you've heard us talk about our sponsor, Global Scholars, an organization that equips Christian professors to make a difference on campus. You've heard stories in this podcast of how Christian professors can help students learn to love God with their hearts and minds. You may not know this, but the work of Global Scholars is primarily funded by caring individuals like you, people who care about the impact of ideas on our culture and nurturing the next generation of leaders. As you plan your end of year giving, may I invite you to consider a gift to equip more Christian professors for this lasting impact. If you find value in this podcast content, please help us share these ideas with more people through our work to equip Christian professors to make a difference. Safe and secure online giving is available at global-scholars.org and donations are tax deductible. Help us finish 2023 strong and make even more of a difference in 2024. Please also check out the other podcast Stan and Dr. J.P. Moreland do together, Thinking Christianly. Whereas this College Faith podcast focuses more on the practical questions of thriving during the college years, the Thinking Christianly podcast is all about the ideas that shape the university, students, our broader culture, and the world. Visit thinkingchristianly.org or download episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And now back to College Faith. Well, and I want to bring out the very important point you're making beyond your first point to engage with, well, your first point to in, in, be involved in understanding and watching the things that your children are involved in, in pop culture. But the point you're making here is it's not just being present, but it's actually engaging and talking about it and drawing mm-hmm. out some of the implications. And actually in the book, I think you did a really good job of listing five very simple questions to ask about pop culture, about these things you're watching with your son or daughter or, or discussing around the the breakfast table. Uh, First, what's the story? Second, what's the moral or imaginary world? Third, what is good, true, and beautiful in this world? What, where's common grace showing up? Mm Mm-hmm. Fourth, what's false and idolatrous in this world, which you just mentioned a minute ago in the example. And fifth, how is Jesus the true answer to this story's hope? Really nice questions that I can just see leading into all kinds of conversations. Uh, I want to put you on the spot and uh, mm-hmm. have you walk us through how you might uh, have a conversation with uh, your son or daughter uh, along those lines. Um about something that that a lot of college students and others as well, but certainly college students are interested in, and that is, uh, you know, th- there are so many of these superhero movies out. It's really become uh, maybe the dominant 
genre, if you will, it seems like these days in, uh, in that generation's, um, um, I don't know how to say not, it. In- actually, not so much anymore. A lot of a lot of people are talking about has has the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, lost steam because oh. a lot of people are because the last five okay. um, MCU movies that have been released have not done wow. well. Disney okay. got burned. Like I, I think there's, there's just fatigue okay. with that genre. Um, well, this so if illustrates I'm, another point in that popular culture is such a fast moving current that uh, it's hard to really stay, stay up to speed. I'm uh, obviously a bit out of, uh, out of date myself, which I'll, I'll own because uh, I have a hard time sometimes staying up with the current popular culture trends, but take something that is right now, the thing Big. And, yeah. and run it through those five questions for us. Okay. So um, before I do this, um, let me just say that I suppose with older students, like older, like young adults, teens, you could actually do this. I would suggest, however, it might be wiser for you, for the parent to do this in their mind, okay. and then, uh, and then just engage with with uh, with their kids. And let them lead the conversation. Mm-hmm. Those are those okay. are going to be the the points that you have needed. You will have needed to think through, um, or you can just kind of lay them out. If you're dealing with young adults and they're mm-hmm. and they're up for, you know, that kind of analysis, great. Um, if you're not, if they're not, then just let them, you know, let them probe where they they're more interested great point yeah and i am i'm thinking about my boys who are now 21 and 22 um yeah you know the recent conversations we've had about these kind of things have been around a campfire they've been a little more in depth we've been able to drill down but you're right different ages and stages and even you know when they were in their later high school years wouldn't have been able to have that kind of conversation so thanks for that distinction it's really helpful yeah and and, um there are some people who take to it uh you know people who who are used to to analyzing literary works for instance sure and there are people who just uh it baffles them and and it's it's a slower so a lot of personality and and competencies you know Mm -hmm. um cognitive Mm -hmm. competencies come into play um so one of the one of the pieces of popular culture that I've been spending a lot of time with um, is uh, there is a game called Baldur's Gate Three that ha- was released maybe a month ago, and this thing has broken all sorts of records. There, okay. it, um, Steam is a, a platform is a a delivery service that that sells these games uh, digitally. They don't come in boxes anymore. And sure. No floppy disks. Really? No floppy. Oh yeah. No, we're past, <laughs> we're past CDs and DVDs. This thing takes up like 133 gigabytes of information yeah. in your computer. Yeah. I, my computer is so old. I can't run it. Um, <laughs> but I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about when my son comes to visit on, at Christmas, maybe asking him to bring a new motherboard and a new graphics card 
so that he can upgrade my computer so I can run this game because it <laughs> looks amazing. So I've been watching it on um on a streaming platform. You can see you can see streamers uh playing through it on YouTube all over the place. I'm watching it on Twitch, which is a game streaming platform. And it is uh it is a game based on Dungeons and Dragons. And for those of you who understand Dungeons and Dragons speak, it's Dungeons and Dragons 5e, 5th edition. Uh, I grew up in uh, Dungeons and Dragons 2nd edition. That's how old I am. But it's, uh, it is a just an amazing game. Um, graphically, light years ahead of what we had in in. Baldur's Gate 1, Baldur's Gate 2. And the story uh, basically falls in line with different quests that you have to go on. You choose a character. You choose the class for this character. You choose what he looks like, whether it's male or female or undetermined, whether, you know, you, you choose. It's just all about choices that you make. And... Um, and one thing, and basically uh, very early in the game, you get captured by an evil monster called a mind flayer, which puts a parasitic worm on your eye and it crawls behind your eye and starts living in your brain. And uh, And according to the game lore, this is going to turn you into a mind flayer in a very short matter of time, like a week or so. And it's very painful and you're and you're basically starting out doomed. But for some reason it doesn't happen and it gives you mental powers that you didn't know that you had before. And you can read minds and things like that. And you gather other party members to and you go travel around and you fight monsters and you defeat them and you gain treasure and you gain magical weapons and all this sort of stuff. And that's uh and and all the while the the overarching story arc this is part one what is the story is you are trying to figure out how to get these things out of your head without having to split open your heads and how to do that safely because it seems to be a magic that you have not encountered before okay so that's the that's the basic game um the imaginary world of this game this is step two. The imaginary world of this game is, uh, I like to call to think of this as the style and the moral spiritual universe. Like what are the moral and spiritual uh, assumptions that inform this imaginary world that you're mm, being drawn okay. into? And what are the stylistic options that the game creators, in this case, the culture creators have chosen to make their game come alive in a certain unique style, mm -hmm. right? For music, it would be what kind of music are you playing? What's the instrumentation in a video game? It's what are the graphics like? What is the voice acting like? What is the, uh, what's, what is the gameplay like? Um, and the thing, the hallmark for Baldur's Gate three, like a lot of fantasy role-playing game is choice. It's all about choice. Mm. You get to choose 
how you act. Um, you get to choose what sort of adventures you get to choose the where you go. Yeah. Um, well, and to your point earlier, you can choose your gender or lack thereof to reflect the cultural oh, gets, narrative about this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and something new that's been getting a lot of discussion both among Christians and non-Christians is you can choose what sexual adventures you go on. So mm. uh, you can initiate conversations with your other party members um, and that can turn into a romance, which can turn into a, a, a an erotic attachment with either men or women. If you're a male character or female character, whatever, it's all about choice. Mm. And mm -hmm. Uh, and Christians are are like ah it's it's you know it's it's corrupting our children and I would say having watched I don't know twenty eight hours of no I haven't watched that much yet maybe I have I, I'm around twenty hours of game streaming of this mm -hmm. there's reason to not let teens play this game hmm. there's there because some of the like some of the characters it's not you approaching them it's them approaching you and there are you know like male characters who are dropping innuendos heavy innuendos about they'd be open to a gay relationship if you're into that and there are female care and it's it's just um i think it's it it's a lot to ask like a 16 year old guy mm -hmm. to handle there might be controls that would uh, alter the gameplay somewhat for concerned parents. I don't know because I don't own the game, but there's, but but it's it's uh, very much in line with the ethos of the game, which is all about choice. You choose whatever you want. And that's uh, and, and the game when you're getting into fights, you choose the weapons, you choose the spells, you choose the this, you choose the that. It's it's all about so so um, that is to say, this imaginary world prioritizes individual freedom above all things. Okay, individual freedom to move whichever way you want to go. Anything else is subsidiary. It's even good and evil. You can choose to play an evil character and you can play that out and become the most hated, reviled person with powers that nobody, you know, you can become the villain mm -hmm. if you want to do that, or you can become the shining knight in armor. It all depends on what you want to do. Okay. So that's the second, that's the second thing. And, so, yeah, so now, now I want to know where you're going to go with the third. What is good, true and beautiful in, in the world, right? Um, I'm sure there's there is it, it's there, but yeah, yeah, now, yeah. now well, I'm and I I would say the first I, I would say the first thing is um, an emphasis on choice is appropriate because these choices that you make in the game always have consequences. Mm, okay, so if you choose to romance this person and then you get hit on by another person and have to say no or not say no, you know, that's got ramifications for whether your party is going to stick together, whether, she, whether, you know, the person you were romancing is going to leave in a huff, the every, every action you take 
uh, every significant action you take, the other party members, there's a little message that will say, you know, such and such party member approves, such and such party member disapproves, hmm. depending on how they're wired and and what kind of character they're they're playing. Okay. And I think that's that's altogether appropriate because it's it's real. In a world where you have lots of choices, do you have lots of choices in this world? You do. They always bear consequences. Ah. And some of they're going and and the the choices you make will move your story this way, will move your story that way. Mm. There is uh I should say a lot in the game that encourages you to be the good guy. Okay. You know, there are lots of uh, there are lots of people needing help that come to you and say, if you don't, if you don't take out this goblin village, they're going to come and attack us and we're all going to die. Can you help us please? And, uh, and then you can say, you know, go beat sand and don't bother me. I'm just here for the treasure. Or you can be the kind of person that the RPG is made for. That is somebody who's RPG, going to help us. Uh, Role-playing game. Sorry. Thank you. Um, that uh, somebody is going to, somebody who's going to help, who wants to help other people, somebody who, for whom kindness matters, you know, sticking up for the, the weak. And all of that is great. All of that is good stuff. Um, so, Imaginary world prioritizes choice, common grace. That's actually true. We've got choices and mm -hmm. choices move our story one way or the other. Mm -hmm. um, the, um, the, the idolatry, I think, is also choice, mm. right? Because uh, there is a certain assumption about autonomy about right. um we make our choices and we are ultimately answerable to no one if you if you anger other people and they leave your party so much the worse for them we're going to we're going to do our own thing and you can be that right um there is no overall god to whom we're accountable there are in fact many many gods for different ethnic groups and it's a it's a matter of personal choice which one you choose and which one you don't. Mm -hmm. In other words, it is a universe that sets up an idol tailor-made for a consumer capitalist society in which you say customer is always right. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And that is that is the reigning ethos, I think, of a lot of the Western world. And especially America, we are we are consumer capitalists, bar none. Um, uh, and what's left out of that is the kind of duty that we owe each other, the love that we owe one another. Right. Um, I, I read on Twitter uh, a great quote. Um, some guy saying. Um, Love is treated like a gift. The Apostle Paul actually treats it like a right. You owe love to other people. You could say it's mm. their civil rights. Your neighbor deserves to be loved by you. You owe mm. them that. And I was like, wow, if, mm -hmm. if we could get our minds around that, 
how would that change society? Right. How would that change the way we look out for each other? How would that change the way that we have debates? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, uh, so this idol is just supremely individualistic. You help people on your terms. You, uh, you go and fight the monsters because not only are you doing it out of, out of the goodness of your heart, but also because there's a lot of treasure to be had and that's the way you play the game. So, um, so I, I would encourage people to think through the idolatry of the reign of choice and how, and how that configures our lives in the game and outside of the game. I I think it's Mm. very possible to play this game virtuously, but it's sort of wired in its DNA. You can play it however you want because you're always right. Mm. Um, yeah, and finally, and finally, how does how does Christ uh, fulfill this? Fulfill the the promise that the idol gives. Um, I think the 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 wicked thing about unlimited choice, at least from a biblical perspective, is that it it promises freedom, but it's so often delivers slavery, right? You are mm-hmm. absolutely free to make the choice to do something addictive. Um, but that is going to have consequences later on down the road. And that's not just true of drugs or sexual addictions or, I don't know, eating disorders or whatever. That's true of sin per se, Mm-hmm. We like to we like to posit ourselves as we are absolutely free and we can do whatever we want. Um, the truth is, we are slaves to passions and to desires that we find it difficult to control, and it is only through Christ's breaking into our lives and helping us relearn how to live which is a a long and painful process called sanctification that we really start to understand what true freedom means. True freedom from the Christian perspective is not consumer desire fulfilled, you know, that I feel awesome because I'm getting the stuff that I want. It is a a self-emptying process. Just as Christ emptied himself on the cross, he calls us to pick up our cross and empty ourselves for others to serve them. And it's by losing ourselves in that way um, that we end up finding ourselves in a whole different way. Mm-hmm. So, so Christianity among all of the world religions is the most other-centric, um, the most love-centered, other-centric religion out there because of the Lord that has made it like that. And because of that, um, those who follow him on this path of love uh, will be with him in a way forever. That's that's the path to fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, through through his through 
grace and mercy alone, you know, we we don't earn it by being good people, uh, unlike the game. <clears throat> but that's that's what Christ brings. What would it mean to inject grace and other centeredness in a radical way into that video game? I don't even know what that would look like. I, I'm I would appeal if any of you guys have really clever game writing kids at home, people who are writing stories for video games or or have connections to the development game development studios, game dev studios, you know, you get on that. Cause I, I um I mean this is the other books that I wrote, the the more recent books. I would love to see a video game that really kind of writes grace and other centeredness into its DNA. Mm. Um I don't I don't I don't think we're there yet mm. as Christians. But okay. so that would be my that would be my off the my shoot from the hip analysis wow. of Baldur's Gate three. Wow. Well that's pretty impressive shooting from the hip, my friend. <laughs> well I've had I appreciate that. I have a I've I've had a little practice. I mean yeah. It's the I wrote the thing, so I ought to be able to do it. <laughs> well, thanks for illustrating what uh, what uh, we all aspire to be able to do to ask those kind of questions and have that kind of processing. Whether we then, you know, like you just went point by point through, do that with our children, or like you say, if it just comes up more more naturally in different conversations, that that's such a nice framework. Uh, and, and I, I, I do want to say, I would, I do want to say that, um, I don't want to be off-putting. Like I've practiced this a lot, and it's, and it's become sort of second nature to me. For some people, they will find it like they will find this sort of analysis like pulling teeth. Um, and and mm. I've taught this on the seminary level. I've taught it on the high school level. I've taught it on the college level, and I. I always, always find that there are some people who just ace, who just take to it like ducks to water. And there are some people for whom it's just really kind of hard. Um, and for and for those people, I would say- You're, don't you're talking discouraged. about parents trying to engage these kind of conversations. Right. Not all parents. I, I find people who are, who are more hard science-y you know, or, or business types that are, that think in bullet points rather than in nuance and interpretive, you know, those people struggle more. Mm. I don't think it's out of their reach. I just think it, it, I like when I wrote Papologetics in 2012, I thought, I genuinely thought that any person with a couple of brain cells to rub together and a modicum of common sense and biblical knowledge would be able to do this. I don't think that anymore. But I think that people who try it, no matter how awkward it feels to you, and keep at it, over time, you build up those kind of cognitive muscles. And, mm. um, and, the, and the end goal of it is if you do it properly, you end up at a place of worship where you say, aha, I see how the cash value of Christ, I, that's a crass way of putting it. I see how the how the glory and the wonder and the splendor of Christ accrue to me, how I'm absolutely blessed to be in a relationship with this with this God man. 
um, and there, and with God the Father. Um, and I know now, I know it better because I've been able to to see what this game has and doesn't have, or what this television show has and doesn't have. And I can, and and so it's supposed to be at the end doxological. It's it's supposed to be, aha, I. I get the depth of the wonders of Christ a little bit better than before. I understand the gospel a little bit better than I did before. Mm -hmm. It's to be an act of worship ultimately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. Well, as we draw to a close, I want to draw the listeners attention to uh, six final words of encouragement and, and advice you offer in the, at the end of the book. I want to just touch on those and see if there's anything from those you'd want to comment further on uh the first word of encouragement and guidance is to remember that the journey isn't easy secondly that um that um we really are called to find ways to train our kids uh in solid biblical doctrine through these conversations third that we should not go at it alone but draw on resources from our local church and then become a resource to others as well. Fourth, to uh, enjoy the process of learning and engaging and being wrong and not doing it right, but just uh, to stay at it. Fifth, to always be praying for and with our children. And lastly, in our parenting, to always anticipate the new creation that God will, will ultimately make all things right. Such a nice way to to in to the book there's so much there but anything there you want to especially draw out and say a little more about that hasn't already come up um just to know that um you will mess up and we serve a god of grace <clears throat> who restores that um who like i i especially love the last point that uh that the new creation is when god makes everything right there's going to be a lot of distortion, a lot of things you're working through. It sounds really, really good on paper. It's really <laughs> hard yeah. in practice. Yeah. And you will make mistakes because mm -hmm. you're a messed up sinner just like me. Um, but I think with patience, God, both God's patience, your patience, and your children's patience, you can come out to a place which is really, really good uh, of mutual understanding. and even if it doesn't always gel the way you want to um there's a there's a song that i love earth has no sorrows that heaven can't heal mm -hmm. right there's there your <laughs> christians are all about playing the long 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 game mm -hmm. so always frame it frame your endeavors in that regard patient loving uh patient guidance, patient equipping, and praying like crazy for your kids. That's what I want to leave people with. Yeah. Great words. Appreciate it. So uh, besides reading the book, which I highly recommend, where else can listeners go to get more information on this? On popular culture per se? Uh, yeah. Anything we've talked about that you think is relevant, popular culture, understanding it, engaging it, talking with our children about it. Mm. Um, one really good resource uh, that I've been supporting financially for years 
is a ma- an online magazine called Christ and Pop Culture. Mm. And they have a podcast where they discuss things that are au courant in, uh, in popular culture. They have, I've written for them a couple of times, but they have really great writers who are, who take whatever's going on, whatever's the new, I, I don't think I've seen anything on Baldur's Gate yet, but it's coming. It's got to come. You're going to have um, to write it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, um, and they and they just write these great think pieces, these long form think pieces about mm-hmm. what is it about, like how are we to understand X Y Z? Um, here's this issue. What? Do, how do we really feel about this? What's the biblical take on it? And just really good biblical stuff. Um, and oh, um, I think there's another another site called love thy nerd yeah i've seen that yeah love thy nerd.com which is uh for parents of gamers mm. and that's really really good stuff there is also uh, along those lines there's also a guy named andy robertson who wrote a book on on uh computer gaming and has a website which is basically a giant search engine you can put in any game title and it will list uh here's what the game's about here are the things that it deals with here's the violence level here's the this here's the that and it will give you a list of alternatives if you think that this that your child's not that this is not a good game for your kid um instead of just saying no you can't play that you can say, well, why don't we try some of these alternatives instead? Here, I'll buy you the game off Steam and let's play it together and see how it is. Mm. And if it's really lame, then we'll find something else. Mm. So that's a really for, I'm good resource. I'm looking forward to running, running Pong through that because I really <laughs> like that game. I love it. I don't know. I find some of the moral implications of Pong very disturbing. Uh, and no good Christian yeah. ought to be playing Pong. <laughs> it, is, it is really, really... I'm feeling super old that both you and I know Pong. No Pong and, and probably, have played Pong. And have and remember <laughs> the Christmas morning when we got to play Pong. Exactly. On our own TV. Is, yeah. Not down at and the arcade. Kids, that for you college students listening, that was like right after the pilgrims landed. That's right. That's right. Oy, oy, oy. <laughs> Good. Anything else you want to mention in terms of resources? Uh, uh, oh, there's lots, uh, hollywoodjesus.com okay. is good for movies. Good. Um, there used to, there used to be m- more resources out there, but I, th- I think some of them dried out. Those are the ones that come to mind. There mm-hmm. is at the back of pop culture parent, a list of resources that oh, you perfect. can, that, that you can, uh, consult perfect. and probably more than I'm remembering off the top of my head. Great. Well, again, I, Highly encourage readers to pick that up, the pop culture parent, and to give it a read. It'll be so helpful and unpack so many things you said in a lot more detail, of course. If you want to read excerpts from it, I actually spent a long time this summer setting up my own website called oh. tedturno.com. All one there word, tedturno, nice. T-E-D-T-U-R-N-A-U.com. And just click on books 
and it'll take you to the books and click on a picture of the book and it'll say read excerpts and it'll give you a PDF of, I think Pop Culture Parent, I gave you the introduction chapter three, which is a chapter I wrote. So I figure my co-authors can't crump at me for that. Uh, perfect. Good. Well, thanks for that. Hey, and I do want to put a plug in for Popologetics. Fabulous book. I've given it away to so many people and especially chapter four, I believe it is, where you talk about the biblical story, creation, fall, redemption. Mm -hmm. uh, that is worth the price of the book alone. That's one of the best treatments of that I've ever read. And I've read a lot on that. Uh, wow. So Thank I'm you. Thank really you. wanting to uh, encourage listeners to pick that up as well. That'll give you as a listener, a real framework for thinking about the biblical story as we see it all around us. And one other, since we're in book plug mode now, <laughs> uh, this summer, uh, July 20th, where uh, I released two books, one called Oasis of Imagination, which is long 400 pages about uh, basically about Christians and creative cultural engagement. Mm -hmm. Instead of instead of culture warring, instead of withdrawing, mm. we can engage imaginatively with our culture mm. by um, by encouraging the creation of what I call oases, places that places that Christians and non Christians works, cultural works that get Christians and non Christians talking ah. and kind of challenge and refresh their imaginations. What a great image! Yeah, thank you. Um, wow. And the uh the not companion but uh, uh, a sh if 400 pages sounds uh intimidating to you then there is a 140 page version called imagination manifesto which i wrote with uh the jazz vocalist art photographer and social activist named ruth naomi floyd okay. and she adds so much she wrote two chapters uh, two or three chapters towards the end, and she adds a whole bunch of practical wisdom from the perspective of an artist, mm. and and how the church can be better at supporting artists and and what artists should be doing for the church and things like that. So, um, IVP would be would, would be upset if I didn't plug those books sure. too. That's great. Well, and I'll mention to the listeners also uh, on the arts. I. Just had a podcast drop a couple months ago with Cam Anderson on his book, The Faithful Artist, which also talks about the value of the arts and Christians who are called into that field uh, and how they can flourish and have a redemptive influence in that context. So thanks for bringing up the arts and letting me plug my earlier podcast. All right. All right. Dad, thanks so much for this time. It has been rich and uh, yeah, I sure appreciate your joy. ministry of thinking and writing and speaking and teaching on these topics that we all need to understand better. All right. Thank you. Blessings, brother. That brings us to the end of this edition of the College Faith Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation at the intersection of Christian conviction and higher education. Be sure to check out today's show notes at collegefaith.net slash podcasts, where you can find more information and links to the resources we discussed. If you found this podcast helpful, please help spread the word by liking my College Faith Facebook page at facebook.com slash collegefaith and pass this show on to others who may enjoy hearing our conversation. Please do visit our sponsor, Global Scholars, 
to help equip Christian professors to be salt and light for Christ on their campuses. Until next time, this is Stan Wallace encouraging you to love the Lord your God with both heart and mind during the university years and beyond.